Take me away, my paper airplane Far away place from here If the wind goes my way Maybe one day I'll land where I'm supposed to Ride where I steer Welcome to episode 11 of the LDS Mission Cast. Our special guest on this episode is cartoonist and illustrator Brittany Long Olson. She has a really cool book out called Dendo, One Year and One Half in Tokyo. This book is actually her mission journal that she kept in graphic or comic book form. Not only is it an interesting way to keep a journal, but it captures the mission experience in a way that's refreshing and real and and informative. Then in our Latter-day Live segment, we have some mission stories from improv comedians Ken and Katie Craig, who share a story from their son who is currently serving a mission in Brazil. There is both a funny story and an inspirational one as well, so stay tuned for that. The last segment is a bit of a personal reflection from me about the importance of journal keeping, and I also want to offer a tribute to mission companions. I offer a brief tribute specifically to one mission companion of mine that I found out passed away about four years ago, but I just found out about it this last month. Please stay tuned for that, especially my missionary companions that might be listening to this episode because, well, I begged them to. Music for this episode comes from Maddie Vance, this super talented LDS musician who is currently a freshman at BYU, but she clearly has talent that's beyond her years. You can listen to her music at maddievance.com or check out the link for her music in the show notes for the posting of this episode at ldsmissioncast.com. So now, here's our first interview with Brittany Long Olson. Brittany Long Olson is a cartoonist and illustrator. In 2008, she decided to start making autobiographical comics every day as her own way of journal keeping, and she hasn't missed a day since. Her daily journal comics can be found at comicdiaries.com. She served an LDS mission in Tokyo, Japan from February 2012 to August 2013, and her graphic novel about the experience, Dendo, One Year and One Half in Tokyo, won the Association for Mormon Letters Award in Comics in 2015. She currently resides in Utah with her husband, Jordan, and their dog named Jetpack, which is a very cool name for a dog. Thanks. (laughs) Where did the name Jetpack come from? So uh, we were looking at getting a puppy, and so we were brainstorming what kind of dog names would be good, and my husband was looking on Urban Dictionary, at uh, the term jetpack, it was like reverse spooning where the smaller person is on okay. the outside. And he's like, oh, that would be a fun dog name. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like we, we shelved that. But then when we actually got our dog, she was a little fluffy gray thing who darted around everywhere. And I was like, sure, why not? It's jetpack. Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. You never know, right? So you, uh, you served your mission in Tokyo. Yes. How was that mission call opening? Was that expected? 
Not at all. Um, I studied French for eight years, and so I fully expected to go French speaking. Understood. Yeah. And um, you know, a lot of missionaries will call all their family together when they open their mission call, and it's a really exciting event. And I was living in Cedar City, where I was going to college, and I was alone, and I wanted that to be a personal experience. So I crawled up onto the roof with a flashlight and opened my mission call totally alone, and found out I was going to Japan, a place I'd never thought of. All I knew about it was that they liked anime, you know, so I yeah. knew nothing about it. And it was it was really exciting. And over the next few days, people had to kind of talk me into my mission call. Like, really? oh, yeah, that's perfect for you because of this and this and this reason. And I was like, OK, yeah, like, I guess I can do this. And of course, after having been there, I fell in love with it. I loved the land, the culture, the people were so nice, even the food I got used to and eventually loved. So got used yeah. to. I love Japanese food. <laughs> So what was the hardest thing for you to get used to food-wise? Um, I don't eat seafood. I still don't like oh, okay. it. And so Oh, that's a lot of their Yeah, food. it's a lot. <laughs> wow. So you still know French? Not really. Once no. I learned Japanese, it kind of replaced You're that a two in my language, brain. Two language yeah. brain. I understand that. I totally do. <laughs> so this is a really interesting way of keeping track of your life as uh kind of a using art instead of just words mm -hmm. to convey your life experiences. When did you, you said it started in 2008, but mm -hmm. was it just kind of on a whim? Yeah, I was already a really diligent journal keeper um, throughout Young Women's. And then when I left for college, I would you know, write in my journal every day. And then I started seeing online some people making comics for their journal. And I thought that was really cool. And I already liked to draw anyway. And so, yeah, just on a whim, I started doing that one day. And I had no idea I would be doing it 10 years later still every yeah. day. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but Make Wilford Woodruff proud. <laughs> So this comicdiaries.com, that's still going. You're yeah. still doing daily yes. daily comics. How long does it take you to draw one of these? From originally penciling the idea to inking it and then scanning it and posting it online, maybe an hour, an wow. hour and a half every day. That's commitment. Yeah. <laughs> Is it therapeutic too? Sometimes. It definitely was on my mission, writing writing in my journal, because there were a lot of hard things that I had to work through. And so being able to look back and see clearly how far I'd come um, was really therapeutic. And now it's not so much therapeutic as it is fun. You know, I get to look back and see what my life was like a month ago, a year ago, five years ago. And, and it's been really cool to track my growth in that way. And also my artistic style has been progressing along too. Yeah. So yeah, the, the most fun part about it is looking back and being able to relive those moments that I may have forgotten about. So let's talk really quick about journal keeping in general, mm -hmm. um, because that's an interesting aspect of missionary work that we don't often appreciate until, of course, after right. our mission. <laughs> when you went into journal keeping for your mission, mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you wanted to make sure that you captured? Some people are like, I'm going to capture my honesty. Some people are, I'm keeping like stats of yeah. what I did. How did you go through and think of what was going to be the most important to keep in your journal? Um, because I was doing it every day, I more wanted to just give an overall picture of what that day was like. And so I'd s sit down to write my journal page and think, okay, like I did a lot today. What is the most important thing that I did today? And sometimes we had a really exciting day and we talked to all these people and they were really interested and that was exciting. And some days I'd look back and be like, you know, all I did today was fight with my companion. And I would write that <laughs> down. You know, I wasn't trying to. What page is that in the book? A <laughs> lot of them. <laughs> 
um, you know, I wasn't trying to to gloss over the things that were hard and play up the things that were miraculous, like a lot of missionary narratives t- they tend to do. Um, I just wanted to get an honest look at what what it was like. And for a long time, it wasn't in my mind that this was going to become a book, and so I wasn't really worried about that. I, people ask me, "Oh, at what point did you decide you wanted to publish it?" And I can't remember. But it wasn't but, on your mission. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, that was something I was doing every night, every P day, catching up on the days that I'd missed or whatever. And so I would take a picture of those pages and send them home so my family could keep track of what I was doing. And that's what it was for a long time, just my personal journal that family could also read. And then, yeah, some somewhere along the way, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if other people could also, you know, see, see what missionary work was like, because not a lot of narratives have every single day and show the ups and downs. And yeah. so, yeah, I think, I think it's cool in that way that it gives you sort of an accurate look, I guess. Well, I've had a lot of people respond like, oh, yes, you captured it exactly. It's not just the ups or the downs. It's all of it. So, But it's your unique filter, too. It is. It is. No one's going to journal the same way right. you are going to journal. <laughs> well, that, w- that was one of the things that I struggled with on my mission. I would write things that I thought were just going to be for me. I didn't mm-hmm. think about eventual audience. Yeah. And so I go back through and read this, my old journals, and I'm kind of embarrassed a little bit. <laughs> Like, I'm like, man, I was a little girl hungry (laughs) on my mission, which, you know, I wasn't supposed to be. Um, But it was one of those things that I I think it's when missionaries go out, they don't consciously think. They think, okay, I'll keep a journal, Mm -hmm. right? But they don't think of how they're going to do it, maybe who will eventually read it. Yeah. I tried to do some research on Joseph Smith's brother Hmm. when he was serving Samuel Smith, and there's not a lot. He didn't record a lot, which is why there isn't a biography written on him yet. Mm. And but yet, I found his mission journals, and sometimes they were literally one sentence. And wow. I was, I was just so wanting to hear what he had to say yeah. about his unique mission experiences. And so these are important mm-hmm. in different ways. So let's get into yours more specifically. So you called it, is it Dendo? Dendo. Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So dendo means what in Japanese? It's the word that missionary use for missionary work or proselyting. So if you look at the the Japanese characters, the kanji, it means like telling the way or showing the way. And so I don't know how much a Japanese person would relate that to missionary work, but that's what we use. We'd say like, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and do this kind of dendo today. And so that was a short word that I came to know a lot. And so I decided to put as the title for my book. That's actually a really cool concept. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. Very cool. When you were doing these, just out of curiosity, did your companions know that you were drawing them? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think every companion I had, at least the ones that could read English, really enjoyed flipping through and seeing what I'd written about them or seeing what my past areas or mission training center experience were like. So, How many Japanese companions did you have exclusively? I I think I had four. I had half and half. Oh, okay. Four or five. I haven't actually counted. But yeah, about half. Very cool. I just flipped through this to mm-hmm. Tuesday, the 28th of February, and it looks like you had uh, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland spoke, and you drew him in one of your... In the MTC, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that was early on, and I see a bunch of other sister missionaries sitting around, and it's pretty cool to see how you are capturing the message. It 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 doesn't look juvenile. I don't mean it that way, but it looks simple. Does that make sense? Or is yeah. that okay? You're, you're kind of distilling down some simple, of this. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, I mean, even the message. Mm-hmm. Like you wrote down here, my favorite quote from Elder Holland tonight teach the gospel by living it. It was just a very simple thing. And now you can, do you remember it better? Because you, like, when you look through these, 
Entries? Okay, sometimes you don't. (laughs) Sometimes I'll read over and be like, oh, yeah, I remember every single thing about this, and I wish I could have written more. And other times I'll flip through and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot that happened, which is cool about journaling because it can jog your memory like that. Well, I I went back through my journals just to kind of refeel what that experience is like Mm -hmm. in preparation for this. And I read some entries where I was like, I put down this person's name, but I have no idea who they are anymore. Like, I don't yeah. remember them. I, I, I thought I would, mm-hmm. and maybe I did for a year or two afterwards, but then you lose it. Mm-hmm. But if I had a visual or even an audio version of their voice or something, yeah. that three-dimensional aspect keeps it real. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious about the life-size whack-a-mole entry on <laughs> July 21st. <laughs> what, what was that story? So the Japanese um, will have summer festivals and the ward I was in at that time decided they want to put it on their own. And it's pretty common where they'll do carnival style games. And so for this life-size whack-a-mole, they had a table with holes in it and a kid sitting underneath the table with a bucket on his head. And he would pop his head up through the <laughs> hole and then kids had like a, a an inflatable hammer and they would smack him on the head to win tickets for prizes. <laughs> like they were really creative. I was surprised. It was yeah. really fun. Is that even something that they do there? Is whack-a-mole a thing in Japan? Or I, I guess. Wow. It must be. I don't I know. I wouldn't even thought of that. <laughs> Very cool. This is such a really cool thing to see how, how you went through and preserved all this. It's a, it's a rather, um, it's a cool window into your experience. Mm-hmm. So when you go out and talk about this book, because I imagine you've, you've had some time to share it with people. Yeah. <laughs> what, what has been their response when you've told them about what you did? Um, The number one thing I hear is, that's so cool, I wish I'd done that. Right. So I think people can recognize that there's a lot of value in preserving their experiences. Like you said, you know, it's a unique filter that no one else can replicate. And so I think part of them is sad that they don't have that for themselves. You know, they might have a journal, but how often do they go back and read it? Or how often do they share it with their kids or their friends or their neighbors? Like, I think it's really cool having a record and then having it in easily shareable form. Like, hey, I, I have this book and you can flip through it and you can read it and learn what my experience was like. And I think that's that's, that's something that a lot of people wish that they had. Yeah, it's a hefty book. It is. <laughs> I was surprised when you walked up and you and it's it's not like a small book and it's very thick. <laughs> of course, it's understandable because you said it's 600 there's, and... There's at least one page, sometimes two, for every single day of my mission. So, so 600 some odd pages. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk for a second about this glossary mm-hmm. because it actually tells a little bit about who you thought was going to be reading this book. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the things in the back there. So before I left on a mission, I was posting my cartoons, keeping a blog, and people were reading it, and I knew that some of those same non- LDS people would want to start reading my mission blog because I posted links to it. And so um, I wanted to make sure that people from a non-LDS background would be able to understand and maybe even appreciate the types of things I was writing about when I said, oh, it's so ins- it's so exciting. So, so-and-so got a testimony of Joseph Smith and for them to be like, uh, what? And yeah, so, why does that matter? <laughs> right. And so in uh, in some of the pages themselves and then also in the back, I have notes that briefly explain the types of things going on. Like when we say we taught someone um, the first lesson or the word of wisdom lesson, like briefly, here's what that means. And then the glossary also has Japanese terms that I used all the time. Like when I say we went housing today, what does that mean? Oh, like that's just what we refer to as knocking on doors. You know, you guys called it housing. We called it housing. And then uh, when we would walk up to people on the street, we'd call it streeting. 
So okay. that was just what we did. And I made notes in the back so people would know what we were talking about. Yeah. So you've got weekly planning, word of wisdom, you got tithing. So some of these are just terms and some of them are actual gospel concepts. Mm-hmm. How many people do you know that were following you that were not LDS? Do you know that? I have no idea. Okay. I know that's kind of a weird <laughs> thing to ask your audience, right? <laughs> do you have favorite Japanese phrases? I've heard some people say certain phrases in Japanese that just seem to capture things better than English. The first one I thought of is when you're first learning Japanese, you learn how to say like please and thank you and you're welcome. And your welcome is doitashimashite. And to Americans, that sounds like don't touch my mustache. Yeah. And so that was a really common joke in the MTC. What other Japanese phrases do I really like? Um, it's more like the sounds. Some sounds are really funny to me. Like suihanki. Okay. Like sounds really funny and it just means rice cooker. It's like not, it's not fancy <laughs> at all, but the sound is funny. To me, and I do a lot of work with languages in my day job, and Japanese always sounds so fast. Mm-hmm. But that's partially because Japanese is also like a, it's like a three or five to one word ratio to English, isn't it? There's more words. There are a lot more words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that part of a challenge for you in, in doing your missionary work was learning the language or did that come naturally to you? I I think in the same way that it affects every missionary, people like to say, oh, Japanese is so hard. It's like one of the hardest languages to learn. And it is difficult because it's backwards from English. And so you have to rewire your brain right. to think backwards. But once you do that, it's like any other language. You know, you have to learn the vocabulary. You have to learn the grammar. It's, you know, once you're immersed out in that, you're talking with people every day. It, it came naturally eventually. I'm not, not like I be, ever became fluent, but it wasn't as much of a barrier as I thought it would be. Okay. Yeah. This, this book is actually quite a manual. Because, no, think about it. I mean, you've got a page here for 15th of June that says emergency transfer. And you talk about this story of a girl that had to come home Mm -hmm. because she was too sick. Yeah. And that you had to be, was it you that was transferred? It was was someone else who transferred out and then my companion got transferred to be that other sister's companion. So I was alone and then joined two other sisters as a threesome for a week randomly. (laughs) Yeah, but that's part of real missionary life. Yeah. That stuff happens. So many of these experiences are things like you sitting on a train, you doing comp study, whatever you guys call it. We call it comp study. Yeah. This is real life. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say that... I don't want to make anything like a mandatory read before you leave on your mission, (laughs) but something like this can actually be very helpful to help Mm -hmm. acclimate to what missionary life is on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So have you found anybody that has bought the book and read it before their mission and then come home had said anything to you about like along those lines? Most of what I hear is either from people who served mission and then they read it and they're like, oh, yes, like you captured it exactly. And I also hear a lot of people who say, oh, my daughter is thinking of serving a mission or like, I really want my child to read this and find out about missionary life. And at first I was really hesitant because I was like, well, I write about a lot of the really hard stuff about missionary work. You know, like if you want your child to go on a mission, this may not be the best way to convince them. And so what I started hearing back was my daughter read this. She loved it. Now she's really excited to go. And I was like, really? Like, (laughs) 
And at first I, I was, didn't sugarcoat it. I was really surprised, yeah. but but it um, was validating to me as a return missionary, as a storyteller, that even though there were a lot of hard things in my story, in my life, the overall message that they got from reading my book was it's absolutely worth it. Like, even though it's going to be hard, you're going to love the people, you're going to love the work, and you will be changed and better for it. So I'm glad that that came across to those future missionaries who were reading it, and then it inspired them to, to go out and serve with joy. I totally agree. I think it would be very helpful for people to be able to read this before their mission. If it doesn't inspire them to go, at least it will inform them. Mm-hmm. their decision to go. Yeah, for sure. And most people, I don't know anybody that else that's done this. It is the first sister missionary comic book officially <laughs> ever. I don't know, I don't know how many other um how many other similar works are out there, but it's the first sister missionary comic book. But a day-to-day though. Yeah. I, I mean, that's incredible to be able to have a day-to-day real-life experience of mm-hmm. someone going through the changes that a missionary goes through and yeah. learning the things that that a lot of people learn and Go to a culture that is very different than your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I served in Louisiana. It's very different from my own. Right. But it still wasn't as different as some. Mm-hmm. And so this is a real, this is a great resource. So where can people find this book? There are plenty of links. My website is tokyomissionary.com. And then there are links there to buy it directly from me for a signed copy. You can also get it from Amazon. It's sold in many Deseret Book locations. Oh, good. Um, It's also at Barnes & Noble. So plenty of places to find it. Fantastic. Yeah. So Mm tokyomissionary.com. And then, again, people can go to comicdiaries.com. And either one of those is good for people to go to. and. Do you have a Facebook presence for your daily diary? Uh, I have one for this book. I think okay. it's just facebook.com slash dendobook. Okay. And I post updates out there when I'm going to be at events or when there are special sales going on and things like that. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a special giveaway for your book. And we have a signed copy of it right here. And we'll give details on how we're going to do that giveaway right after we're done with our interview here. But we really excited to give one of these out because I know it's going to be helpful for someone out there going on a mission and uh, even those that have come home. So fantastic. Thank you very much Thank for you. coming in and sharing your special story and your, st- your talents. This is a really cool idea and I'm, I'm hoping that elders or sisters take a look at it. Thank you. Take me away, my We're doing a giveaway for a free autographed copy of Brittany Olson's book, Dendo. To enter, you first need to like the LDS Mission Cast Facebook page if you haven't done so already. Share the posting for this episode on Facebook. From there, we'll see who shared it and pick a winner that will be announced in episode 12, next week's episode of the podcast. Now, here's our Latter-day Live segment with host Sean Rapier and special guests Ken and Katie Craig. Hello, LDS Mission Cast crowd. Once again, this is Sean Rapier from Latter Day Lives, and my guests today are Ken and Katie Craig, a husband and wife uh, who are both comedic actors, improv actors, and just wonderful people. And they have a son on a mission right now who recently sent them a great letter. Yes, our son Garen is serving in uh, Brazil. And uh, one of uh, Garen's favorite impressions to do is of the character Stefan from Saturday Night Live, who is a weekend update correspondent that gives kind of insights into what's going on around town and what you can, what kind of events you can look for. And so, performed by the 
very talented Bill Hader. Yes. Bill Hader. And mm-hmm. he plays this super uber hipster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like everything is the hippest thing on earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then he reviews the most ridiculously <laughs> named Clubs or themed or, yeah. restaurants or yeah. whatever. Yes. But they're always the hippest, coolest thing. Yes. Yes. So this was one of Garen's letters that he sent us from Annapolis. Yes, 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 yes. If you're looking for a place to kick back and relax, with or without a shirt, then look no further. Brazil's hottest city is Annapolis. Located on the northeast end of a downgrading economy, this place has everything. 24-hour bars, pirated movie stands, people urinating on the wall in the middle of the street, stray jogs, stray jogs, Jewish stray dogs. And what's that over there? Is that people selling corn out of the back of a broken down van on the side of the road? No, it's a heavy metal rock band performing in a church on the street corner. <laughs> and then he says, important note, important note, I actually really love it here, but all of those things are true, except maybe the economy. I don't know about that, but I'm pretty positive about the jogs. <laughs> the, Jewish oh, dogs. the Jewish stray dogs. <laughs> Well, if you've not seen Stefan, go watch him on YouTube. Now you have a homework assignment. Because it's, it makes all of this much funnier. Boy, he nailed it. I mean, that is exactly... So, oh, make, so, I mean, that's what a missionary mom wants to hear. Yeah. Didn't that put your heart at ease? Oh, yes. That he's, that he's making the jokes? Because he's only that been he's out for a few months it. now. Yes, that he's loving it and he's seeing it through the lens of comedy. And All right. So are some of the spiritual moments he's having, break? are they breaking through too? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He just had his first baptism this last weekend, and it was um, that was the wife of a less active member who who came back and uh, and met with the bishop and got ordained a priest just in time to baptize his wife. Oh. And so it was. He said that was the best. It, it was, was just, really neat. And the thing yeah. that's so marvelous about it is, as he's talking about these people, you know, at first, then he's talking about them, and then there's a point where he's talking about himself, and he's saying. I really need to improve my faith. The, you know, my mission president said this thing about faith, and I realized I do. I need to have more faith. I need to be stronger, and I've been praying for that, and I've been reading these scriptures. And 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 then after this experience of him working on his faith, then comes this miracle, which yeah. just that's that's what it is. It's it's not just these people. It's him, and it's you know the changes that he's having. And great humility, great faith. We're really proud of him. Isn't it wonderful being a missionary parent? It oh, yeah. is. <laughs> Ken and Katie Craig, thank you so much for sharing that mission experience with uh, your son that I will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> and on behalf of LDS Mission Cast, I'm Sean Rapier. Why does your touch feel so cold? Thank you, Sean, Ken, and Katie, for your awesome stories. Keeping in the the theme of missionary journals, I want to share an experience I had after my interview with Brittany Olson a few weeks back. I decided to go back through my mission journals and my box of mission keepsakes. I came across a little blue notebook and calendar that I had where I would keep track of phone numbers and addresses for people in the mission, including my mission companions. It was really fun to flip through the contents of that box and remember my mission what's basically 20 years ago. When I found that little blue calendar notebook, though, I looked through the names and addresses in the back of the book where I had my companions' names listed. And I went through the list and found that I was at least Facebook or email connected with each and every one of my companions, except one. 
I saw the name Robert Bo Clark from Washington State. I served with him for a brief period, maybe two months, but it was my first month as a zone leader in the Leesville zone. This is in Louisiana, the Baton Rouge mission. For some reason, I didn't keep track with him or stay in touch, and I've tried to stay in touch with all my old companions, so it was kind of weird that I didn't stay in touch with him. When I saw his name, I looked back on my time with him fondly, so I couldn't make sense of how he seemed to slip through the cracks. So I opened up Facebook to see if I could track him down. Well, I had forgotten that he didn't go by Robert, which is what I put in my blue calendar notebook. He went by Bo, which... You know, I guess I should have searched that in the first place, but I searched Robert Clark, and well, that's a fairly common name. So it took me a while to do some other internet research, and as I was doing that, I found a site that said someone with his name and his address had died in 2014, but nothing more. That obviously piqued my curiosity to see if he had died. Further research online brought me to his Facebook page under Bo Clark, where there was a number of posts about him trying to collect donations for a brain tumor and all the medical testing and treatment that went along with that. I saw pictures of his wife and two kids, and I put the pieces together that he died in March of 2014. In fact, the day that I found out about his death was four years to the day that he died. I found his wife and his brother on Facebook and reached out to them with condolences, but somehow it felt like I missed the mark being four years too late. I felt like I should have been there for him during that time. This experience prompted me to look back at my mission journals during my time serving with Bo in Leesville. I found the usual entries talking about, you know, the day's labors, how many hours we did tracting or the door-to-door knocking, discussions we taught, people we had dinner with. As I went back, I wanted to focus specifically on the time period where I was serving with Bo Clark. July 21st, 1999, I wrote, Leesville seems like a cool area. There's good members and good work, fun companion and good district leaders. Apparently, I wasn't as verbose as I am now, but my first impressions were that Bo was a fun guy. And I have to say that while my impression of him as being a fun guy stayed, there were more layers, of course, that came down the line as it always does when you spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with someone. I read an entry where I was feeling like I needed to relax from being out on a mission for 20 months. I was a zone leader at this time, and so there was a lot of stress and pressures. But I made note of the fact that Bo kept encouraging me to get up and to get out of the apartment, to go have some fun instead. Well, he won that argument, and we got up and went out. Another entry stated how he gathered up the courage to run eight-tenths of a mile at the end of a day. Apparently, that was some kind of noteworthy accomplishment at the time. Another said that we tracked it, or again, the knocking doors of strangers, and we did that for four hours, and I didn't get any complaints from Elder Clark. Again, that was something that I felt was worth noting. Now, I didn't care much or wasn't a super fan of tracting either, but that day... We tried to do that, and we did that to try and find people to teach, but he was willing to do that, and I know that that wasn't his favorite thing. At one point, I mentioned a story about how on P-Day, or Preparation Day, I had to do all the cleaning around the apartment because Elder Clark refused to help clean, and I wondered why I valued that enough to write it. Journals are funny things because they can be helpful tools to view into our past, but they can also humble us. My journals humbled me because I realized that so many things I worried about don't really matter that much. 
In reading other stories, I realized just how many things I still have in my life because of the time I had with Elder Clark. I still have the tie that has a printing of spaghetti on it that, according to my journal, I picked up when I was with him. We also served during July and August of 1999, and in Louisiana, that means humidity and heat. That also means that the bugs are out in full force, especially cockroaches, big monster-sized ones. And one of my fondest memories of Elder Clark was every night when I was taking phone calls, getting reports from all the missionaries in the zone, Clark would be in the front room of our little little hut that we had, kind of in the backyard of this lady's house. And he took these little black blowguns that we had, these like dart blowguns that we all purchased, and they had these little needle darts. And he would sit on the couch and he would try and shoot blow darts to hit the cockroaches that were climbing up the walls. Now, these tools were not very accurate, and nor was this a, an efficient method of extermination, but it was something that Clark looked forward to every night. One night while taking calls, I heard this loud scream from the front room. Clark hit one dead center, and the thing was pinned, squirming on our wall. He was very proud of his kill. This was a rare thing to get one on the wall. But most of the time, we would just end the night using you know more conventional methods of getting rid of these things. But he was quite proud of his accomplishment that night. And it was one of my favorite and fondest memories of him because he seemed to find the ability to f have joy in exterminating cockroaches. I also remember that Clark had a laugh that was infectious. It was hard not to laugh along with him, even when you were in a grumpy mood. He seemed to really like rap music or hip hop. I remember thinking that he must have hung out with some colorful people before coming on his mission because he didn't sound like the typical white boy from Washington State. Uh, he was only out a few months when I served with him, but I recorded that we used to take the time tracting door to door to help him memorize some scriptures. I was with him when he turned 20 years old, and I said in my journal that he was pretty proud of himself for turning 20. Our birthdays were only five days apart. We even shared a birthday cake that year from one of the members that made one for both of us. He helped cut my hair once, and on September 13, 1999, he was transferred to serve in Macomb, Mississippi. I don't recall ever speaking to him again. Now, some of those stories were in my journal. Some of them were from memory. And I could say that now I wish I had recorded more stories about him and, and all my companions from my MTC companion, Clint Cecil Hossman, to my trainer, Andy Bennett, followed in order by Danny Bynan, Adam Vicciarelli, Jeremy Briscoe, Craig David Broadbent, Kelly Jones, Waylon Richards, Nick Ovard, Steve Gonzalez, Matt Aldred, Bo Clark, Nathan Kinnan, and then I ended with Kai Tanner. Each one of these men have a special place in my heart and in a special place in my journals. And owe who I am today to each one of them in some part. If I could go back and write my journals today, I would do it a whole lot differently. I would write what they taught me, how they contributed to my testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we can be together forever as families. We were teaching that to the people each and every day. And even when we annoyed each other, even when we disagreed from time to time, I consider it now a divine blessing to have spent a portion of my life getting to know these men on a mission. To the wife and young children of Bo Clark, who will likely grow up not knowing their father as he died when they were quite young, your husband, your father, was a good man. I have fond memories of a man who made me laugh when I needed it, 
who supported me when I needed it. I only wish I'd been a better friend past our time together so that I could have been those things for him. I do look forward with fondness to the time that I could meet him again after this life and talk about that night that he got a bullseye on the cockroach, as well as the baptism of Lee and Lynette Chastine in the good old Leesville ward. I'm at a loss for words Since the day of your return And I'm in a toss and it hurts Oh, how the embers, they burn Thank you for listening to the LDS Mission Cast. Go check out Brittany Olson's website and Dendo on Facebook. She continues to write a daily journal comic, and those daily journal comics can be found at comicdiaries.com. Also, make sure to enter our giveaway for an autographed copy of her book. Thank you to Sean Rapier and the Latter-day Lives podcast. Make sure you listen to his podcast each and every Monday. It's fantastic. We're glad you join us each and every week, and thank you to those who have been sharing our episodes with your friends and with those engaged in missionary work in all its forms. So much great content is coming your way. Don't just keep it for yourself. Share the LDS Mission Cast with your friends. Also, don't forget to check out the music of Maddie Vance at maddievance.com. Please, please, please take a moment to let us know how we're doing by sending us an email at contact at ldsmissioncast.com. Or go to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. We need your reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Remember, that helps other people find our podcast. So please leave your reviews. Until next time, this is Nick Galetti thanking you for listening. Not expressed, wanting to escape. Then the storm hit. 